which is eternity. Eternity. Um, it's a big word. And used a lot in the church world. Probably in the in outside of the church in probably terms that may not really be accurate. We had to wait an eternity in line at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Not really. But it seems like it sometimes. I found a few quotes about time that I would like to share with you this morning. William Penn says, Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. Mother Teresa said, Yesterday is gone, tomorrow has not yet come. We only have today. Let us begin. Nathaniel Hawthorne says, Time's, Time flies over us, but leaves its shadow behind. Mm. Benjamin Franklin says, Lost time is never found again. <laughs> Here's an anonymous quote, The greatest gift you can give someone is your time, because when you give your time, you're giving a portion of your life that you will never get back. Zig Ziglar says, lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24 hours, 24-hour uh, days. Henry David Thoreau writes, time is but the stream I go a-fishing in. I drink at it, but while I drink, I see the sandy bottom and detect how shallow it is. Its thin current slides away, but eternity remains. All reflections of time. As I get older, I realize just how quickly time does pass. I think children and grandchildren cause that realization to be more and more evident. Just a few days ago, we were driving by what was my first elementary school that I ever attended. Jane Addams Elementary in West Tulsa on South 65th West Avenue. And we were driving by there, and I reflected on my time there from kindergarten through third grade. And I told Annette, I said, you know, it's been, I think I said 40 years. And I said, wait, no, it's been 50 years since I first went into that school. And I said, wow, <laughs> 50 years. I know it doesn't look like I possibly can remember 50 years ago it's the apricot scrub. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I assure you I can remember 50 years ago. Um, you can think back in your own life and recall things that happened many years ago and, and ponder just where the time has gone. When somebody says, a long time ago... It really depends on your point of reference. A long time ago for me is not a long time ago for somebody else. I remember many years ago, um, a kid said, a long time ago, back in 1994, and I'm thinking that was not a long time ago. <laughs> but for them, it was half their life ago. 
A few years ago, I was flipping through the channels and I stumbled across a movie that was filmed in 1915. And it was a silent movie because talking pictures didn't come out until 1929 or so uh, on a regular basis. I was intrigued by some of the scenes and as I began to watch this movie, I saw people from all different ages, even down to an infant that was in this movie. And I began to think about this and I realized that you know, it's really unlikely that there's anybody in this film that could possibly be alive today. And maybe that baby at, a, at you know, 100 years old could be alive. But you look at that and you think, wow. You're looking at people on a film screen. And it wasn't that long ago that we just kind of got to that place where you could look at the earliest films that were produced. You know, you, you look at something you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, and it's like, yeah, there's people that could still be alive from that, but 100 years ago, it's like yeah, impossible. We can, see, we can see historical edifices that were built in this city even, generations ago, and no one invo involved in establishing those buildings of architecture or works of art remains alive today. They're not here. Even though people pass from this life does not mean they cease to exist. And we can read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The King James says a living soul. The breath of God that created a soul is in each one of us and that soul lives on and is eternal. What does eternal mean? Eternity. By definition, I want you to look at this. Eternity means duration or continuance without beginning or end. It's infinite or unending time. Being eternal or having an infinite duration and one definition says the state after death. Eternity is a time that, both ex that, that, that extends both during and after our understanding of time. We're bound by our finite understanding and what we look at as time. Its actual realization will be after we pass from this life into the next. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, he, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It is impossible for us to really fully understand how big and how wide and how vast God is and, 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 and how we can understand really. It's hard to con conceptualize it. God has placed within the human heart or the soul of man a desire for more than just earthly things. We want to live forever. And many people try to fulfill uh, by, by trying to find eternal value in earthly things. And it will never happen. We must realize that God does not, only, does not only operate in the finiteness of how we measure time, and we must look to eternity, both past, present, and future, because that's where the realm of eternity is. 
past this life. Psalm 93, verse number 1 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an ending. He always was and ever shall be. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and get this, through whom also He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. These passages show that that in the eternity past, before the incarnation of Christ, Jesus was in equal glory and position with God. And it's hard for our minds to wrap around this fact. Here's the prophecy about Jesus that, would be, that, that, that tells about how he would be born into this world as a baby and become the sacrifice for our sins in Malachi chapter 5, verse 2. He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times, or from days of eternity. This life is not all that there is, folks. This isn't it. This is just a warming up place. And I'm so thankful to know that we have a God who is all-encompassing of time. He created us. He created this universe and everything that we see. And how that this is not all that there is. There's something else to life other than what we see. And we have the promise through the creator of the universe, the ancient one, the ancient of days, one scripture calls him. And Jesus is our soon coming king. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus said this, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes that the Son has eternal life Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So Jesus speaks about eternity here. He said there is eternal life for those who will seek and who will trust in Jesus Christ. And for those who do not, that God's wrath will remain on them throughout eternity. In that time and space that we haven't experienced, but yet we will all have that realization. How many know that you don't get out of this life alive? We're all going to go at some point unless the rapture of the church should call us beforehand. There is a judgment day for everyone that is hearing this message today as well as for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that has ever lived. 
Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So for those of us who are waiting for him, our ultimate salvation will be realized when he returns and gathers his children to be with him. And that day will come. It is a certainty. There are two judgments that I want to talk about because this goes into the realm of eternity. There are two judgments, and I've preached a standalone message about this, but I felt it necessary to touch on these today. There is what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. How many ever heard of the Great White Throne Judgment? The Great White Throne Judgments. Who will be at the Great White Throne Judgment? There will not be a single, solitary, saved person there. It will be a dreadful day for those who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But they will be waiting their turn to appear before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ. Revelation 20 and 2 says, The dead, small and great, that is young and old, low and high, poor and rich, Christ shall judge the secrets of all men according to the gospel. Faith in Christ would have placed their names in the book of life and they would have been saved. Heaven and earth will flee away and no place will be left for sinners to hide and all must face the judge. These lost sinners rejected Christ in life now, but they now must be judged by Him and face eternal death. As they wait and prepare to go to the second death or hell or Hades into the lake of fire with the devil and his demons, they will think about the opportunities that they had while living on earth, the changes they, uh, they wasted by saying no to God. There will be people who, who will say, who will think, I wished I would have. How many have ever had regrets at any point in your life? The ultimate regret will be people who will stand before a holy God who rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they have entered into eternity without God and they will stand there and they will say, I wished I would have. And if you think for a moment about the rich man who... who um, died and went to hell and he looked up and he could see Lazarus who was in paradise. It, it stands to make sense where everyone in hell can look up and there's a great gulf that separates them. Those up there can't see down but those down here could see up and see what they could have had. How torturously more that would be in addition to the turmoil and torture that they will yet endure. They will think about the time that they thought about turning their lives over to Him, but they were having too much fun and the soul-damning pleasures of sin for a season because sin is only pleasurable for a short time. And there is a judgment that comes. They will think about the times they felt the tug at their heart to come forward in a church service, but they didn't because of pride. What will everybody else think? They already think I'm a Christian. God knows who you are when nobody else is around. You know who you are when nobody else is around. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool God anytime. 
All will stand before God and give an account for their own actions. No one else will be able to answer for them. Jesus warned on a number of occasions for us not to go to this dreadful lake of fire. I've heard preachers have even said, well, I don't intend to preach about hell because I don't intend to go there. Personally, a preacher said that to me one time. I couldn't believe it. And Jesus himself spoke about hell and the lake of fire time after time after time so he would warn people not to go there. In Mark 9.43, Jesus said that in that in, in verse 48 as well, Jesus said that in this place where the fire never goes out, where the worm that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Make no mistake about it, there is a judgment day coming. And I pray that no one within the sound of my voice will be present at that great white throne judgment. Then we also have the second judgment, which is actually before the great white throne judgment in time. But the judgment of the righteous. A Christian should be judged. A Christian is judged to be righteous when he or she accepts Jesus Christ as personal Savior and then, uh, and then uh, receives forgiveness for all those previous sins that were committed and they were never held against you again. Yet a future judgment also awaits every Christian. The judgment seat of Christ for Christians only, which comes after the rapture of the church. It's not judged according to whether you're or not you're saved. It is judgment according to what you have done for Jesus Christ while you have been here on earth. There will be rewards that will be enjoyed throughout eternity and they will be determined on the basis of our faithfulness and our dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. The heaven that awaits for the faithful Christian is so wonderful that it cannot really be described. Just as it's difficult for us to conceive of the idea of eternity, it's difficult for us to really fully grasp the heaven and the place that Jesus said he's gone to prepare for us. It is beyond really human understanding. This fact has led some non-Christians to think that heaven is a mythological idea originating in the primitive minds trying to construct a brighter future. But for Christians who believe the inspired word of God, the reality of heaven is as certain today as it is written in the book, as certain as the word of God and the reality of heaven. Uh, the description of the new Jerusalem that comes down to earth at the end of the millennium gives some vivid details about the reality of eternity and heaven. You can read it in your Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. I'm not going to turn there this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 says, The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. How many know that, that when you serve, it is work? Have you ever, have you ever, have, how many of you have ever served someone else? Maybe in a meal or something like that. You serve. If you, if you have ever waited tables or you serve someone, something like that, it is, it, it is a job and it is work in my my hat goes off to people who, uh, who do that. And, you know, and it's not just meal, but it's in whatever field you can think of in healthcare. There's a lot of that serving and caring and compassion that go into those things. And our first responders, and thank God for them. Verse 9 goes on to say, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field 
God's building. How many know that we are co-workers in God's service? We are in the service of the Lord. But the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though one as even only as one escaping through the flames. Verse 8 talks about the one who plants and the man who waters have one purpose is to be rewarded according to their labor. Verse number 10 talks about the grace of God that we've been given, the wise master builder, the architect. The architecture, the great architect is God, but the execution of the plan is entrusted into each one of us. We have a foundation. His name is Jesus. And verse 11 tells us there is no other foundation that can be laid, which is Christ Jesus. Which means He is the chief cornerstone. He is the cornerstone, which means that when He is the first stone... And, and just to give you a brief history on the cornerstone, the cornerstone in masonry history was the initial stone that is laid in the construction of a, of a building or a structure. And every other stone was laid in conjunction with that stone. That stone set the guide and, the, and how the rest of the building would be built. And that's what this verse is talking about today in, this, in the same context of architecture. Jesus is our chief cornerstone. And everything in our life is laid in conjunction with how He said to live. And upon Him we build because if we don't build on Jesus Christ, then everything we build is futile. It's hay, wood, and stubble. We have to be careful what we build. Verse 12 says, Our works are compared to these building materials. Some are, are made of, they're put into the fire and burned up. If what we built survives, then the builder receives a reward. I, I don't know about you, but if somebody says, I will give you a reward if you will work hard and you will be diligent. Some of you have been employees or maybe are employees and you get compensated based on your effort and your ability and your productivity. And that really is a scriptural context because it says here, you will be rewarded according to what you have done. Now, you are not measured by the results. And sometimes we can get discouraged by the results because we think, well, it seems like I'm working really hard, but I don't really see much happening. Mm -hmm. We're not responsible for the results. We're responsible to follow the plan of the architect and to work to the best of our ability. You know, I, I know that we all have different abilities and we all have different callings. And this makes a huge difference in light of eternity. How many souls we are able to reach is directly affected by our effort and what we do for the cause of Christ. Each, there is an eternal impact on souls. We may plant seed. We may water. We may do a few other things. We may not realize really what has happened. We may not realize the reality of the harvest. But we will work for the Lord. 
There are some people that may have a, 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 a special area that they're really good at. And there are some people who may work in, a, in, in this same area that may not be as good at it, but they work there because there's a need for them to do that. And God doesn't look at this person excelling in this particular area and this person maybe not doing as well but what God looks at is the heart and the intent and the motivation Amen. it's kind of like someone who has a great singing ability I can read music I know music and I've been now I'm not superb at it but I, I know some about it and I've been involved with music for a long time I can, you know, there are some people that don't know as much about music and there's some people that know a whole lot more about music. I can remember my grandpa saying, you know, he said, I don't know a lot about music, but I know what it ain't. <laughs> I would much rather than have someone comes up that has a golden voice and just, oh, musically, they're just superb. I would rather have not that person to come up, but someone who may not know as much about music, may not hit all the notes, may not do some things musically and technically right, but the effort and the anointing rest on them because of their heart. Amen. And there is a big difference. We're talking about eternity. Verse 15 says, if it's burned up, then the builder will suffer loss. I don't want to suffer loss on that day. I don't want to get up there and say, Lord, I, I was working for some of the many things that I thought were right and good, but they didn't really align with what you had in mind. When we leave this life of service for the Lord Jesus, all will be judged according to our works. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have thought. No, what they have done. We can have great intentions and never do anything. We've got a great outreach that we're going to have tonight, and I pray that you can come and join us. And if you're not able to come and join us and be a part Maybe you can pray for us. But this evening, I hope that this property is filled with children and parents that are, are um, just looking to have a good time. And we get to, we get to uh, minister to them and show the love of Christ to them. We've got, uh, you know, and I might, I might just mention because we're not doing this just to have a good time. We're not doing, and it will be a good time, but I'm, that's not the reason we're doing it. We're doing it because the message of Jesus Christ needs to get out. We've got Bibles already packaged and ready to pass out tonight. We're going to do that. We've got little gospel tracts that we're going to put in those Bibles and pass them out. Yes, we're going to give out candy because that's what kids expect. That's okay. They don't expect Bibles. But they're going to get them. And we pray over these Bibles that God will use the Word of God to move in the hearts of boys and girls and men and women. <coughs> Romans 10, excuse me, Romans 14, 10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
it's kind of like, you know, whenever, whenever you're a child and your parent says, what have you been doing? And you're thinking, you're thinking, you know this conversation's coming and you pray, I hope I've been doing something that's really acceptable and good. Because if it hasn't been, there might be some answering that I have to do. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You see, rewards are not given according to the success of the labor, but according to our motivation and our faithfulness in service. Faithfulness is a big word, and it used to, I think, have a different meaning. Some people may think, well, I'm faithful to go to church. I go once every three months whether I need to or not, and I'm faithful to church. I wouldn't consider that faithful. I don't know that God would consider that being faithful. Now, I'm not taking into account circumstances that may be specialized that would prevent somebody from coming to the house of the Lord, but I think you get the meaning. I'm faithful to read my Bible. I dust it off every Sunday right before I come to church. Or, or you know, I, I open that Bible app. Or oh, I've already offloaded the Bible app because I had to have room for another game. That might be a problem if you're not getting into the Word of God. i got to move on. What will be the degree of our faithfulness to God? What's the degree? If you could measure your... I want you to think about your faithfulness to God right now. Think about your faithfulness. You can think about, okay, how faithful are you to your employer? How faithful are you to your spouse? How faithful are you to whatever hobby it is that you have? Whatever entertainment that you have? How faithful are you? Meaning, how passionate, how involved are you in those things? And now I want you to think about your faithfulness to God. Your faithfulness to God. If you had a faith meter or faithfulness meter and like this was low and high was way over here, would you hit it over here or would it go away over here? Would it be, would it be kind of on the empty side or it would be on the full side or the more dedicated side? It's something to think about. I'm not going to judge you or measure you for that. That's not my job. But I must remind all of us that we have to be faithful to the Lord. 1 John 4, 17 says, This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. We have to be like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. How would it be for you to receive praise from God? Do kids enjoy praise? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Journey's at the, at the age right now where when she does something that's great, and we just say, that is great, and we clap, and she claps, and she's happy, and we're happy, and we over the top give praise. I mean, it's not just like, way to go. 
and just turn and walk the other way. I mean, you know, I don't know that she would really comprehend that. I believe that we will get praise from God. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's two different kinds of people. I know that there's, there's some people that they, in, I mean, we all enjoy getting praise. But when somebody gives over-the-top praise and they say all these nice things and, and, you're, and you know, sometimes to the point of embarrassment and you're thinking, wow, I mean, yeah, I, I realize and they just go on and on and on and you're thinking. And then some other people are like, yeah, keep going, keep going, you know. Uh, whichever end of the spectrum you might land in. But, you know, it, I, I think it's just, I just happen to be simple enough to think that God's going to just embellish us on that day when we get let me just review with you what you have done and let me tell you about some of the things that you had an impact in that you didn't know anything about you gave admissions and there were people that came to the to christ to know jesus christ in africa because you gave admissions you empowered this evangelist to be able to go over here you prayed for someone when the holy spirit prompted you to do so let me tell you what was happening on the other side of the planet while this was going on you had no idea these things were going on I believe it's going to be a time when God just like, and time's not going to matter because it's eternity. There won't be a clock to measure. I heard Dan Betzer one time talk about how, how awesome it would be if we were, we were just witnessing, you know, Paul getting the rewards that God was just, you know, all of these rewards that God was giving to him, the Lord was giving to him, and how it would take a long time, and it would just go on and on. And it would be like, you know, it'd be almost to the point of embarrassment. But it wouldn't be because it's coming from the Lord. It's like, it's the favor of the Lord. It's the blessing of the Lord pouring out. How would it be on that day when we stand before God during eternity? And he just says, I just want to give you rewards for all of those things that you have done for me and for the cause of Christ. And it will be worth it. I'm going to close with this verse this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, in verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's not just open the door, come on in. It's let me welcome you into this heavenly place that you have longed for, that you have waited for, and there will be a rich welcome. Eternity is waiting for each one of us. Church, I want to remind you, live for Jesus. That's all that matters. I'm looking forward to the rich welcome and to that eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that there's no one here that's not ready or no one that's watching or listening that is not ready for eternity. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, for the reminder of eternity, for the reminder of time beyond this life, and I ask God that, Lord, you would prompt the hearts of those who may not 
be ready. Sin has crept in. Cares of this life have edged out the relationship that perhaps they once had with you. And Lord, we want to be ready. Your word said every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I purpose to do that today and not wait until then. Only. All it takes, Lord, according to your word, is just believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and he is our Savior. And your word says we're saved. Lord, we turn away from sin and darkness and we turn toward you and the light. We don't want to face eternity without you. We don't want to face that eternal punishment and that great white throne judgment. We want to be at the judgment seat of Christ where we will be judged according to our works and not according to whether we're saved or not. Thank you, Lord, as we think about and put eternity in perspective. As you are the author and finisher of our faith and we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name.